Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Are you a business owner looking for help with HR benefits and payroll? MWG Employer Services offers a wide range of services and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. I was so overwhelmed with HR stuff. MWG Employer Services took all the stress out of it and even set up my payroll. I couldn't be happier. MWG Employer Services is here to help you succeed. Call us today at 601-206-7966 or go to mwgemployerservices.com. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Now, the college baseball season in the Magnolia State has unfortunately, but officially, come to an end. College baseball season. It ended last night in Hattiesburg. Southern Miss coming up short against Tennessee in Game 3 of the Hattiesburg Super Regional. We'll start things off with that this afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Pearl River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resort is the home of Geyser Falls Water Park. What a great place to spend a day or a weekend or, heck, I don't know, I guess if you wanted to spend a week there, if you really loved water parks, you could do it. So many attractions. you got the wave pool. you got the slides, fun family atmosphere, good food, clo- uh, close to uh, other great entertainment as well. You can uh, learn more about Geyser Falls Water Park and everything that is happening at Pearl River Resort on their website, pearlriverresort.com, or do yourself one better. Just visit in person. Thanks for being with us. We'd love to hear from you. Your thoughts on last night's game. Did you make it to the very end? Ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. Give your business the edge with gigabit fiber internet from Ceasefire Business, backed by world-class IT professionals who live where you do. That's right here in Ceasefire Country. Check them out online at ceasefire.com slash business. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Michael Borky, good to be with you this afternoon, wherever or however you're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi. So it came to an end last night. Final score, Tennessee 5, Southern Miss nothing. Tennessee 5 runs on just 6 hits in the ballgame. 4 of those 5 runs came via home run. Tennessee had an error in the game. Southern Miss no runs on 7 hits. They had no errors in the ball game, but the Volunteers just too much last night in front of 5,809, a 9.06 first pitch. Game finished just before midnight local time, and again the season comes to an end for Southern Miss. They finished the year 46-20. and Tennessee with the win improved to 43-20 and on the season. All right, so let's go big picture, thoughts, impressions, it came to an end last night, uh, an incredible run by Southern Miss in the postseason, but uh, finishes at least one game short of where they wanted to be. Yeah, so uh, focus on the good, right? In their legendary coach's final season, the first season in a brand new, better baseball conference, they win the thing and get to a game three of a Super Regional. I mean, that that is uh, something to be commended 
even though it did end up uh, disappointing today. It was a really, really good season. Again, they won their conference. They get to hang another banner. Uh, Scott Barry gets to, to go out as a conference champion. And that that's where I hope that most Southern Miss fans are focused on today. But by any measure, it was a great season. Or, or I, if if to use the term great, you have to finish in Omaha, it was a really, really, really good season. A successful season I, for Southern Miss baseball. You could make a very strong argument this is the second best baseball season in Southern Miss history. You know, obviously the one where they went to Omaha would probably be number one, but well, I mean, conference tournament championship you know, in a stronger conference than they've ever been in, you know, in recent time, mm-hmm. and a super regional where they they were on they had, they took it to an elimination game three. That's a tremendous season. You hate to see Scott Barry go out this way, but I, I, overall, I mean, it's one of those things where in the moment you're like, ah, it's tough to appreciate. You come back in a month or so, and you'll be like, that was a hell of a run. And I think that's a great way to describe it. Um... I, I would be lying if I said there wasn't a yawn at the uh, the end of the game. I wish the game had been a little more dramatic to just kind of keep us all on the edge of their seat. Instead, it was laying on my back on the couch on the back porch watching and uh, stuck with it to the end. I thought the moment, and, and they showed this if you if you stuck with the broadcast for a couple of minutes after the game, obviously Tennessee dog piles on the field. You hate watching that on your own field. An incredible uh, ovation for, for Scott Barry and that entire team as the game ended and Tennessee was celebrating on the field but recognizing the season for Southern Miss. I thought one of the coolest moments, because Tennessee does not have the best reputation, right? I mean, Tennessee's baseball team, and it's largely because of last year's team, has the reputation of being a bunch of scumbags, which I'm not sure that that's entirely fair. Once they were kind of waiting to run around the field and hold up the signs and ever all gathered around the first base boxes. Scott Barry was being recognized by the fans. They all stopped their celebration. The entire team and coaching staff kind of turned and gave their attention to Scott Barry. They all tipped their caps to him, kind of doffed their cap a little bit. I thought that was a really cool moment of sportsmanship and uh, and recognition of uh, a job well done. That was cool. Yeah, no doubt. That was really cool. Yeah, Porky says they're still scumbags. <laughs> Oh, yeah. you know, it was more of fans' media yeah, this time around. Yeah. Um, no, they, they weren't as bad. They, they were not as bad this year as a whole. Now, it's partially, as you pointed out yesterday, I don't think we were live when you said it, but in part because they didn't win like they did last year. So it's harder to be insufferable in victory when you don't have as many victories. But I, I did see some people, you know, criticizing it, it, the, the throat slash that Burns did after that big strikeout, and he didn't know what planet he was on. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not mad at him for the the throat slash. It was a small one, but it was like in the midst of it. Like it really looked like his head was about to explode. Yeah, it, was, it was a psychotic episode to where the broadcast was like, "Hey, somebody needs to go calm him down because there's still two innings left in this baseball game, and uh, he's got to pitch them. So somebody rein him in." But. Uh, but that I, was the moment, right? Because it was first and third. Yeah. And Southern Miss had first and third with nobody out. And the kid before Burns, oh, who was it? it was the Aaron uh, Combs? Is Aaron his name. Combs? Kind of a three-quarter arm slot, good curveball. He gets a strikeout, and then they go to Burns, and he goes back-to-back strikeouts on like nine pitches, and and he got the strikeout just blowing the first guy away. 
And then his first, I, I can't remember who the hitter was there for Southern Miss for the, the third out of the inning. But his first pitch is a fastball that runs up and away. It's like he's got no control of anything. And it was 102 miles an hour. And it was then he, uh, Dickerson and Wilkes were the, the two okay, strikeouts so, from. All right, so it was Slade Wilkes in that moment, maybe the most dangerous hitter on Southern Miss's team. And he rips an 89-mile-an-hour slider that breaks about six inches laterally. And then he goes 101, 102. It was huge. Yeah. Uh, that that felt like that ended that, that the was game, your ball game right yeah. there. That was, that was ball game. Yeah. And it, it's so, I mean, what a weapon that is, too, right? Uh, and that was top seven, right? That was the seventh inning. Yeah. Yeah. And then Tennessee comes back, and they get the solo home run to extend it out to five, and so now you're in that spot where even if you hit a grand slam, you, you don't tie the ball game. It's going to take a rally, probably a couple of rallies with just six outs remaining, yeah. and you know you're still facing Chase Burns, and you know that Tennessee still got Camden Sewell down in the bullpen if they need to go to him. I, I saw somebody, I don't know if it was Wes Rucker or somebody else on Twitter, that said, deep down, Tony Vitello wants to go to Camden Sewell to finish this game. But even Tony Vitello is not going to be able to make himself take Chase Burns out when he's pumping at 101-102. Yeah. So. And that's your difference, right? I mean, you know, we started with the positive. The the difference, the, the thing I was thinking about this morning anyway, was Southern Miss is just a couple short. A couple of arms short, a couple of bats short from this Tennessee team. As good as that pitching staff is, and as good of a job as they do with pitchers at Southern Miss, they don't have a Chase Burns. They don't have a guy that can come in and throw 102. I mean, just the pitch sequence that you mentioned, you tweeted it as well. They just, Tennessee had that when Southern Miss did not have that. And that was your difference in this series. Yeah. But at the same time, Southern Miss had a 4 nothing lead with their ace on the mound in Game 2. I mean, they don't have Chase Burns, correct, but they do have Tanner Hall. Yeah, He's got to hold that lead. He's got to. And once once they lost that lead, once that, that six-run inning happened, that was the end of the series. And it was immediate, and right? I mean, it was Southern Miss goes up 4-0. Yeah. It was 4 nothing, and then it was 6-4. And it was 6-4, yeah. and, and Tennessee yeah. didn't check up the, the rest of the way. So a bunch of messages from you on the C Spire text line. Uh, join the conversation if you'd like. 601-879-4395. We'll go through all these. you got some questions. you got some thoughts. We will uh, discuss that and dissect all of it. And then we'll go back and talk more about what Brian Haydad said just a second ago. This It's not fair to say that last night was a formality because that's that's just not the case. I mean, it was a one nothing game. Going to the bottom of the fifth inning, it was a 4 nothing game going to the bottom of the seventh inning. So saying it was a formality would be completely disingenuous. But the weekend changed in, what, the bottom of the fourth inning on mm-hmm. Sunday of on game Sunday. two of the series. We'll unpack that coming up next. Sports Talk Mississippi, just getting started with you in the Pearl River Resort Studios. Check us out online at supertalk.fm. Grab the show as a podcast. If you miss any of it, you can always go back and listen on your own time. And, of course, you can watch at Supertalk TV. We'll be right back.
new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. Let me put it to you this way. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. All right, let's go through some of your messages on the ceasefire text line. First one up today was uh, right after we came on the air. How much of a factor do you think the weather delay had on, oh, he says on Saturday night, had on Southern Miss losing? Hmm. I mean, they won the game the next morning. Yeah, I mean, isn't he talking about, though, from like a like a cumulative standpoint, like, Things are going well on the mound in game one. And it, it was four nothing when they went to the delay. So yeah, they were rolling a little bit and you have you have to stop. Yeah, but you could have gotten more out of Oldham, I guess. Uh, but, and, and, and to me, that's ultimately the question. Like, does, does Billy Oldham only going four innings and not maybe giving you seven and preserving some arms out of the pen? <sighs> Yeah, but in game two, as Haydad mentioned, it wasn't like it was a tired storm that gave up the runs. It was their guy. You know, the, the, it, the, their guy got beat, and and you, you can't put it on one player when you when you had bad defense uh, situationally last night. You know, they had runners in scoring position, couldn't get them across. I mean, when you lose, it's not one person's fault. It's all encompassing, but. When your guy, your best arrow in your quiver gets fired and it misses, it, it changes the dynamic of everything else. I mean, that that's more of the, the issue. So, so so the difference in the series, I mean, if, if we really want to break it down, is in the game where you had ace versus ace, which was game two, right? Because because Southern Miss goes with, uh, with Billy Oldham in game one. And Tennessee goes with Andrew Lindsay in game one. And that's not the ace of either of the staffs. The aces are Tanner Hall and Chase Dolander. And so in the game where you matched ace versus ace, Tanner Hall last four and a third, gives up six hits and seven runs, six of which were earned, with five strikeouts and a walk. And Chase Dolander for Tennessee goes eight innings, and he gives up seven hits, but he only allows four earned runs. And those were and early. They, and they he were shut early. down later. I was going to say, they were early. All four runs came in the bottom of the third inning. And so, what you're looking at after Old Miss, or after Southern Miss, I beg your pardon, jumped out to a fast start offensively in the first game, and then a pretty fast start offensively in the second game, they never scored another run after the third inning of Game 2. So, they're at bats in the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth, 6 innings in Game 2, and 9 innings... In game three, their last 15 at-bats, which is 45 outs, produced zero runs. It wasn't pitching. It was, it was. I mean, honestly, even though Tanner Hall was not his best, you know, you give up eight, you're probably going to lose, but you give up five like they did last night, that's a winnable baseball game. And sometimes you give up eight and you still win. But no, I mean, did did the weather delay on Saturday have a cumulative effect on Southern Miss's pitching staff? Maybe, but that doesn't explain the lack of offensive productivity. 
Our second message of the day said, yes, made it to the end and then had to be at work at 5 this morning. I'm whooped. Well, thanks for being with us. Darren and Jackson, that was a bummer last night, but they honored their coach like they should have. Yeah, they absolutely did. Um, even down five, I thought Southern Miss was going to find a way to pull it off. It just felt right. I I applaud your optimism. And and maybe it was because it was Scott Berry's last game. You just thought there was going to be some magic in the air because it just felt right. There was nothing that I saw in those later innings from Tennessee on the mound that made me think they're about to give up three or four base runners with a couple of doubles while they've got three or four base runners on in consecutive innings to allow this thing to to unfold. Jake says, feel bad for USM, but really feel bad for Texas. Hold that thought. (laughs) Hold that thought. We'll come back to it. Bubba and Starkville says they blew it. Game two. Tennessee was the better team. Great run. Go Eagles. If you're being objective about it and you looked at the two teams, Tennessee was better. But, I mean, Tennessee was just a little bit better than Southern Miss. They weren't a lot better, but that, they were they were a little bit better. Yeah, that's they what I was getting at a little bit better earlier. offensively, and they were a little bit better on the mound, and that's why they're still going to be playing next week in Omaha. That's what I, I guess I said it poorly. That's what I was trying to, to get at earlier is they just had a, a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Of everything, they, there was just more good at Tennessee as opposed, just deeper, the the higher end talent. It, it just is what it is there. I like what JP says here. JP from Pascagoula says the program is elevating, surrounded by juggernauts geographically. Couldn't be more full of pride today, short of packing for Omaha. I think that's a good sentiment. I mean. I mean, yeah, you play in the same state as the last two national champions. You're surrounded by other good baseball programs, and yet here you are every year, year in and year out, in in the mix with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's. I mean, you look around. I mean, Louisiana has kind of fallen off these past few years. I mean, they were a great program a decade ago, but that's fallen apart. I mean, South Alabama is okay most years. Troy is okay, but I mean, Southern Miss is easily. Easily the best group of five program in in this area. You gotta go to the coastal probably to to find the, the the next one. It really should be an impossible job when you think about the proximity yeah. of of the you said the two recent national champions and are invested in baseball as much as anybody in the country. And oh by the way, how far is Baton Rouge from Hattiesburg? I say closer to Baton yeah. Rouge than either Oxford or Starkville. Th- that should be an impossible yeah. job, a, a place that you can't win. And yet, and yet they do. And not only that, I, I feel totally confident that Christian Ostrander will continue to build upon the success. Yeah. I don't, I don't feel like that program's going anywhere. With a bunch of guys from their backyard, too. There, there's a mm-hmm. lot of close proximity on that roster. Josh and Laurel says the difference was that Tennessee was able to hit Tanner Hall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right, Josh. Uh, we get another message that says they were just Dalton Rogers, Tyler Stewart, Landon Harper, Hurston Waldrop, Will McGillis, and even Reed Trimble short. I mean, there, there's something there. I mean, even in a different era of baseball, if you're really good, and Southern Miss has been really good for a long time. You lose significant contributors, usually to the draft or graduation. 
But Hurston Waldrop is going to start either the first or second game for Florida in Omaha this week. Will McGillis, if he stays healthy the entire season, he perhaps leads South Carolina in home runs this year. He had double-digit home runs in like 30 games total. I mean, he missed six weeks with a broken hand or arm or something. He was a starting first baseman for a really good South Carolina team this year. If you just add those two pieces, is that enough to get Southern Miss over the hump? I, I, I don't know. But it has, in the last two years, become even more difficult for Southern Miss. I mean, going back to what you were saying a second ago, just geographically about, you know, competing in the state where you got Ole Miss, you got Mississippi State, and you're so close to Baton Rouge and so many programs that really care about baseball. And obviously the care for Southern Miss baseball is very, very deep in the Pine Belt as well. But the same level of resource to hold on to elite players does not exist as it does in those other three programs in particular who are so invested and so committed, just like Southern Miss, but with a larger checkbook, to winning at the highest level in college baseball. Um, You're exactly right on Saturday. I think this person means Sunday. As soon as Tennessee went up 6-4, I said to everyone in the house, Tennessee is headed to the World Series. That's from Jeff. What is that pitch, by the way, that beam throws? It's not a curveball. It's not a slide. What is it? I had to watch the game for a while without sound on, so I didn't know if, if Todd Walker was well, naming it. What is that pitch? I mean, it's, where, it's where they call it a slurve. It's I mean, nasty. It's, it's got – it's more over the top than a hard slider, but it's not quite as lateral as a straight slider. Yeah. So it, it's got more like 45-degree movement to it. Boy, I'm, that thing is nasty. Yeah. I don't know how anybody hits him. Uh, I mean, you know, and he had trouble locating a little bit, a, a couple of times, but and hung a few. But man, I, I was again. I had to watch the sound off for a while, but I was. I, I kept asking my buddy that I was with. I was like, "What is that pitch?" Because they can't hit that. And he, when he was on, man, it, it looked like it was impossible to pick up. John in Meridian makes a really good point, and he goes back to Sunday's game. So Southern Miss had scored four runs, and they were on their way to a six or seven run inning. When the third baseman, that was Zane Dalton at third, right, made the diving catch going toward the line, pops up and makes the strong throw across the diamond. John Meridian says the play by Tennessee's third baseman in the fourth inning on Sunday changed the momentum of the entire series. I completely agree. In fact, they went back and they highlighted that in last night's game about how big that was. Had a good player make a huge play. We'll take more of your messages on the ceasefire text line when we come back. This is Sports Talk Mississippi in the Pearl River Resort Studios. Nothing brings people together and forms a lasting bond like sports. Sports Talk Mississippi. Covering your favorite teams like no one else. On the Super Talk app, supertalk.fm, and on your local Super Talk Mississippi radio station. Ceasefire text line after watching USM beat my Tigers, Auburn. I just knew they'd win it all. Congratulations to USM. Can we talk about football now? 
soon. Maybe not quite yet. We're going to go to the Farm Bureau guest line, check out favorites.com, and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Luke Johnson joins us. He's been out of town the last couple of days, made it back, uh, was there in the ballpark at uh, Pete Taylor last night. Uh, He is co-host of the Super Talk Eagle Hour, good friend of ours, and Luke, obviously tough one last night. We kind of started the show off, you know, by just about any measure, a successful, if not wildly successful season. Hey, Dad said maybe the second best season in, in Southern Miss baseball history. Um, you were there last night, and obviously there's disappointment, but there were a lot of people, I think, that walked out of that ballpark with their heads held high last night, and, and maybe a different feeling than a year ago. It, it was it was pretty pretty surreal. Um, you don't get to be a part of things like that. Everybody was expecting to be a part of a Omaha dog pile, and instead they were able, even in the midst of like utter disappointment, to see something that you don't get to see very often. Uh, the most successful baseball coach in your history sending him off at home uh, with chance. Uh, Justin Storm said it best in the presser. He said. Uh, while Tennessee is dogpiling, we we hear louder than their celebration. This two chants going through right behind home plate. That section was chanting USM uh, above third base. The crowd was chanting Barry, and then then it kind of turned into a thank you forty, thank you forty. And uh, as you know, as as you said earlier, Tennessee had to recognize that. And so there was a moment, and I share with with you this off air after Scott shook hands with the Tennessee staff. And after he tipped his, his hat uh, to the crowd, he just started walking towards left field, just being, you know, I got to go get my guys rounded up and give them the, the post-game uh, speech. But nobody really followed him for a few seconds. And it was just real metaphorical. He was had his back to the crowd, back to everybody. Everybody was watching 40. And it was almost as if, you know, this is 40, you know, like he would do, kind of slip out the back door, not want any attention. And uh, that's that's just when the crowd just took it to the next level. So it, it was almost like you said, it was it was different. There was a celebration, but in some ways, looking back on this, yeah, you didn't go to Omaha, but you still got to be a part of something that was probably bigger um, than than Omaha fifty years from now because you got to send Scott out like that. You mentioned Tony Vitello in his post game press conference uh, was asked about Scott Barry. What did he say? His opening statement, he just said, you know, three things that really came to his mind really fast, and one of those was Scott Berry. He made a comment about him being a champion. So later on, I just kind of followed up and and, uh, asked about, you know, you guys in the midst of celebrating turned around, saw Berry walking, and you, uh, you know, you raised your your hats to him. And, like, their team just joined in with the crowd, and Tennessee fans were, were clapping as well. And he just went on and on about, about Scott. And, uh, he said some funny things. He said that he would, he was glad that he won, but he wanted to watch Dustin Dickerson play more baseball. And then he went and talked about Scott, uh, on and on about his family. Apparently Miss Laura and, and the kids went up and, and thanked, uh, and congratulated, you know, the, the Tennessee coaches. And he just went on and on about, about, uh, about Scott. And then towards the end, he just kind of put his head down and said, Scott Barry is more of a man's man than I am. And uh, even in victory, you know, it was there was a recognition um, that 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 this was bigger than just a wins and loss. And that's what Scott said in the post game. He said, "I learned a long time ago the numbers come and the numbers go, the wins come and the losses come." He said, "But 
and he, and he began to cry when he said this. He said, I found out what's most important to me. It's investing in people. Uh, and if you want people to invest in you, you've got to invest in people and mold them and shape them. And, and uh, that's what, that's what he's exemplified. And that's what he was able to, to share last night. On the baseball front, um, we, we were talking about this for the first half hour of the show today. And when it comes down to it, I think Tennessee was just a little better. They were a little better offensively. They were a little better on the mound. And that turned out to be the difference in the, in the super regional in the series and the difference in going to Omaha and not going to Omaha. Do you, do you agree with that assessment? Yeah. I, I said yesterday, if they didn't jump on beam early, you know, if, if they were down four runs or so, you know, going into the fifth or the sixth, it was going to be really hard. And that's what happened. And still what's amazing is the Eagles left 11 on last night. The way they lost last night, even to a superior bullpen that was available last night, they lost the same way they, when they've lost this year. It's that they left a bunch of people on base. They out hit Tennessee last night. They just never got timely hits. They never got a multi hit, um, a, a multi base hit last night. All seven hits were singles. Yeah. Um, and going back to, to like what, Going back to like the bullpen situation, I don't know if, if, if you guys have, have seen this, but Southern Miss only had seven pitchers this year that pitched 20 innings or more. And it was like Armistead at like 43 as the floor and the next guy pitched like 19 innings. And so when you think about a microcosm of, of this, uh, of this super regional, I think this is probably Scott's best coaching job because the 17 team on paper was better than this team. The 21 and the 22 teams were better than this team. And yet they made it within one game of, of Omaha hosting the super at home with a, with a very, very, uh, guys were available, but it was just, you know, some of the trust. Who do you put in those big situations? But only seven guys pitched, pitched uh, more than 20 innings for the Eagles this year. In your mind, did the series turn in, in game two when, with a 4 nothing lead, Tennessee answers, they get six runs, there's some defensive miscues, and, and Tanner Hall looks a little less like the Tanner Hall we have expected to see every time he steps on the mound? Yeah, I, I think it. I think there is something to be said for the fact that Oldham didn't, wasn't able to, to chew up more innings, and so they had to use Storm, where Storm was not available the rest of the weekend. Um, I, I do think, um, you know, Tennessee's approach is just kind of the coastal approach, you know, just kind of sit on, sit on the changeup. And Tanner would probably tell you that he, he probably didn't have his best stuff the other day. And that's just the way it goes sometimes. So I would say it was a combination, you know, after the home run, I mean, you know, that they hit, uh, that, that finally landed, by the way, it landed on a roof uh, next door. Um, the roost patron said they had never seen a home run hit that far. Uh, yeah, I, I think that You're was about the one that Burke point. hit. Yeah, the one that Burke hit. It it uh it cleared the trees, and I don't, you know, maybe DeQuincy Scott back in the day, maybe Fred Cooley or somebody like that, but nobody had seen a home run like that. Um, and it didn't and then, take long to clear the trees either. It, it was it was quick, you know, <laughs> quick, fast, and efficient. It was very very quick. It was very very quick. But yeah, I, I think it was a combination of of those two things. Um. But yeah, I think the end of the day, though, and 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 people will hear this as a homer comment, and I guess I played for Southern Miss, so I am one. But you just took 
uh, a team who has $150 million more in athletic budget revenue than you do. And you had them. You had them in game two. And it was just the fact that they eventually just had better dudes in a game three than, than you did. Um, and you still left 11 on base. And I think, I think you guys, I was listening to the previous segment before. I think it just shows what this baseball program is because you know, if you go to a regional, you're probably going to be in an SEC regional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the way. If you don't host, you're going, you're going, um, in, in an SEC regional. And, and if you they do host, just keep you got a, a two seed coming in that's an SEC team. You do. And I think it speaks to the fact that of, of the job that Scott has done of Corky and Hill and Pete and all those guys that the, the point is it should not, they should not have this type of success. And yet they continue to have success and they have success right now more than anybody else in the country with, with the 40 wins. So I said this on the Eagle Hour today, as I was watching uh, Scott walk to left field last night, I, I saw 40. As in two ways, I said that is the standard by which how many wins you're supposed to get in a baseball season for it to be good. At the same time, in a much greater stance, 40 for me now means the standard by which you run a baseball program over a long period of time. And that becomes Christian Ostrander's job today. He's now the head coach. Yeah. Rick, Rick Cleveland was on with us today and he said as Oz was walking off the field last night, he kind of gave him a little chest thump and he said, we're going to get there. Good stuff. Luke, thanks for your time, man. It's, uh, it's been fun being with you all throughout baseball season. We'll continue to talk throughout the summer as we uh, begin to touch, uh, turn our attention toward football over the next couple of months, and uh, we'll be to September before we know it. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Richard. Y'all have a good day. Luke Johnson from the Super Talk Eagle Hour talking Southern Miss baseball as uh, the Golden Eagle season came to an end in Hattiesburg at Pete Taylor Park in the final game for Scott Berry. Last night, five to nothing, the final Tennessee with the win. JP Agula says that 486 foot home run off of Tanner was the farthest I've seen at Pete Taylor Park since Cal State Fullerton visited in 2009. That's been a minute. And was that uh, play- in the hot bat era? I don't remember. 2009 was not. No. no. Okay. I mean, at the end of that 09 season, the bats were hot, but no, that was no, no. We're we're talking late 90s for the real hot bat era. Well, then there's another reduction. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi will wrap up the first hour of the show with you coming up next. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Sounds good. On Super Talk Mississippi. Luke Johnson joining us on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Good to be with you this afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. Uh, Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, and Michael Borky. So, lasting memory for you of this season as it pertains to Southern Miss baseball. What is it? 
probably the winning streak they had. They win 17 in a row. I think that's right. It, it, towards the end of the season, where they, it was just they kept getting hotter and hotter, and I was like, you know, because you know they had some struggles early in the season. They lost the state. They lost to Ole Miss. They lost that game to Alabama. Uh, where, where I, th- I remember going into that midweek game, I was like, they could win that game, and then they got they got beaten badly, and it was just they were kind of up and down early in the season, and, and but then they, when they got hot, they stayed hot until the very end. It was on the back. It started with the the last game of that Coastal Carolina series, right? So they won the Sunday game, then they beat mm-hmm. Tulane and Louisiana Tech in midweek. And they swept Arkansas State, and then they beat Tulane again in the midweek, and they swept South Alabama, and they swept ULM, and then they got game one of uh, the Louisiana series. So that was from Sunday, April 23rd, and then they didn't lose again until Friday, May 19th. And that was the game they got smoked by Louisiana and then turned around and came back and beat them um, on the final day of the regular season. I think for me, it's their their run through the Auburn Regional. To lose that game to Samford in game one and put them in the impossible situation of winning a regional after losing their first game, only to see them knock out Auburn on game two, on day two, and then eliminate Sanford and then force the Monday finish with the win over Penn... I, th- I think that's the lasting memory that I will have. I mean, outside of this being it for Scott Barry. Yeah. That, that of course, is the, the biggest one. Uh, I'll throw another one at you. You mentioned it briefly briefly earlier, but the, the transition to the Sun Belt. I remember when that was announced, we talked about how big it is because it was a big deal. The Sun Belt just so much more stable and viable uh, than the Conference USA. But remember what we said? It's going to get tougher. It's going to get tougher in football. It's going to get tougher in baseball. And basketball, I throw basketball in there too. Southern Miss Athletics is going to be challenged more than they have in quite some time and win the conference in basketball, and they win the conference in baseball. They have one of their better athletes. And women's basketball. And women's basketball. They have, one of their be- they have one of their better athletic years ever moving up. Put them in the SEC for a year. Let's just see what happens. I mean, they, they go to a bowl game in a year where they were having to play their running back and quarterback again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a year, you know. In the the optimism, it, well, in baseball, there, there's optimism, but there's sadness at the same time. It's an interesting uh, emotional dynamic right now. Sad that their guy has gone. Optimistic about the future, but they're in love with the state of the basketball program, and they should be in love, and I think they are, with the state of the football program. What a time right now for them. Can, can we settle this whole bat argument thing that we're having about when bats were hotter? In 2009, across every single game in college baseball, with 288 teams playing, there were .96 home runs hit per game. This year that number is what? I don't know if we've got the, the – clearly we don't have the final number. But it's like 1.15, almost 1.2 per game that are being hit this year. 1999, by the way, is when the uh, the first year of the new bat standards went into place. They went into the, the BESR standard, 
And then 2011 is when 2011 they did it again. is that's when BB Core went. And I mean the 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 initial the initial year of the BB Core bats. I mean they were dead, like dead, dead, dead. There was an average of .52 home runs per game, almost down half a home run a game in 2011 from 2010. Well, and don't forget, philosophy has changed. Plate approach yeah. has changed. The, the 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 intent is to hit more home runs or walk. Mm-hmm. No, no in between. Not hyperbolic some, but... Yeah, I'm with you. Anyway. College baseball not quite as dramatic as Major League Baseball. No. In, in uh, that particular... Uh, I'm sorry. Two point... Two five home runs per game this season. In twenty twenty three, is this right? In twenty twenty three, this year there have been sixteen thousand six hundred forty nine home runs hit across college baseball. Remember, that can't be right. They narrowed the strike zone and juiced the balls. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that number is. Yeah. All, more than 2,000 more home runs than were hit last year. Whew. We'll be back. Now, back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Say that again. Please say it. Now, back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Sorry, poorly timed joke, completely inappropriate. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, 4 o'clock hour, Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Pearl River Resort Studio, Dancing Rabbit Golf Club. And we're in that time of year, right, where we're getting a little bit of rain, and then we're getting some warm. we got a little bit of a break on the heat today, not as hot as it has been. But in terms of ideal grass growing and maximum greenness of a golf course, right now is the time. The rain followed by the heat, followed by a little more rain, followed by a little more heat. It's like God's plan works just exactly the way it's supposed to in terms of greening up a golf course in the month of June. It is, they are spectacular right now. The Oaks and the Azaleas, two 18-hole championship courses, award-winning golf courses, golf courses that you can play every single day of the year, dancingrabbitgolf.com. That's where you make your tee time. So. Yeah, Check them we're, out. we're finally in that time of the year where the NCAA uses their uh, weather machines to to make it rain a lot in the South. But uh, <laughs> okay, uh, but yeah, I mean, we we got we, we have that earlier. I, I tried to record a podcast earlier because you know I, I do that during the day and uh, just rumbles and you grumbles. do that during the day. Yeah, I do. I do that during the day. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, just rumbles and grumbles, man. It, it just came out of nowhere. And uh, I, I think the background noise is actually a, a little bit of a nice addition to podcast recording. I don't know. It's, if my voice Especially with the but, name of your uh, show's Thunder and Lightning. Yeah, I see. And it is because I, I... And especially if tomorrow's show is called The Rumblings. I mean, there's just a lot going on here. Yeah, just start doing it outside or close to a window. 
and you've really got something. You should exclusively record thunder and lightning during thunderstorms. I could have if I had gotten around about nine this morning. I had to cut my walk short today. It started raining on me. Yeah, it's it's the rarity of it, you Whoa. know. Why did you stop walking? It was raining. I mean, to use a lot. I mean, I kept walking back to the house. You, what are you going to melt? I got a phone and earbuds. I don't want all my uh, equipment to get rained on. Was it raining that hard? It was raining hard enough that I cut through the neighborhood and went back to the house, yeah. How close were you to the end of your walk? Um, I, pro- I I walked two miles. I probably would have walked three if okay. I had. Okay, okay. I'm not going like, yeah. to give you a hard time for that. I'm not gonna give you a hard time. You weren't gonna give me. I mean, yeah, do, yeah, do, do yeah, whatever you want to do. Obviously, it's it's your yeah, it's your your I exercise will. routine. Yes, it is. Yes, I don't think I've walked two miles today, so maybe I can't huh. say anything anyway. There we go. Hey, only because this is fascinating to me has nothing to do, Borky, with us debating hot bats in 2009 versus today. It has absolutely nothing to do with that. But these numbers are ridiculous. Home run numbers in college baseball this year. All right, let's go back to 2019. An average of 1.46 home runs per game. A total of 10,630 home runs. That was four seasons ago. 2021, really close to the same. 1.71 per game. A total of 10,744 home runs. 2022, big jump last year. 1.99 home runs per game. 14,452, and then this season, which is not yet completed, 2.25 home runs per game across all of college baseball. As we move toward Omaha, and I don't know when this story was written. It was was written on May 18th, so this doesn't conclude any of the postseason. 16,649 home runs. That's up 6,000 home runs in a season over four years. Balls are wound tighter. I think the bats are a little hotter than they have been. I don't know that a ton of the change, though, has been from bats. Like kind of the normalized rate over the last... 50 or 60 years in college baseball is about one and a half home runs per game. We got way below that when they went too far with the bat rules and the ball rules. Then they flattened the seams on the baseballs that were being used in college baseball, and it took a couple of years, but they kind of normalized and leveled out. And now it's on steroids again. Not literally, we hope. But up three-quarters of a home run per game over like a five-decade average. Do we like that, or is it too much? Is it too much? No, it's not too much. I I mean, I agree. I I think it's fun. I think it's exciting. Chick dig the ball, all that stuff. There are times, though, where it looks like a super cheap swing that shouldn't be a home run swing, and the ball goes over the fence, and I wonder if that's how it should be. You know what I mean? Richard going to come back in November like, too many touchdowns this year? What happened? He's, what big, happened? he's, he's a big fan of fundamentals and defense. Uh, and Old he, Joe Lee Dunn, Richard Cross over there, defensive guy. 
But, yeah, there are some times where a guy will hit a home run where I'll think, that's not a home run. There shouldn't be anyway. And then it is. And At that same time, though, this year, I mean, when I think about State with Hunter Hines and Dakota Jordan, when Kip Alderman down at, at Ole Miss, there were some monster, like, yeah. some shots that just, like, that ball is out of any stadium in the country. Even the polo grounds. Even the polo grounds. That's right. As they uh, they like to say. Dwayne and Brandon says maybe they have hot balls. Maybe. They're wound pretty tight. Uh, C Spire text line, good thing home runs are fun. Uh, one thing I've learned since moving to Jackson, June through August, it will rain every afternoon regardless of the forecast. Yeah, maybe. Yes, Kelso and Ocean Springs, this sounds like uh, bathroom humor. You think? There's an old SNL skit. Mm-hmm. My junior year of high school was 2011, and the BB Corps bats made high school home runs almost impossible. This is actually a really good point. Don't judge bats being hot only by home runs. I mean, exit velocities matter. Yeah. We got another message that says, you guys must not remember Gorilla Ball. Michael Borky probably doesn't remember Gorilla Ball. I can assure you that Brian Haydad and I do. Oh, yeah. Do the names Brandon Larson and Eddie Furness mean anything to you? Roberto Vaz. Ooh. Ooh. You know, was it G.W. Keller was the other guy for Alabama that year? Is that his oh, name? Oh, gosh, that could hit. Uh, yeah, I could rake. Lyle Mouton was pre-Gorilla Ball even, wasn't he? Yeah. Well, now he's like right at the beginning of it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And Auburn was, and Gabe Gross was on that team that went to the World Series. Who was State's best home run hitter in that era? So what, what are we talking, like 90? So you, I mean, was 93 the height of Gorilla Ball? No, no, 97-98. Okay. I mean, at 98, the national championship game was 21-14. That was Arizona and Southern Cal. score. No, Southern Cal and LSU. LSU was in that game. Or was it Southern Cal Miami? I'm pretty sure it was Southern Cal and LSU. I don't think LSU was in that like crazy wild. They won won the national title in 97. Yeah, 98 was the the year, though, that you had the crazy final. Right, it's 21-14 was the final score. It, It is... Where is it? Oh, it was Arizona State. You're right. Southern Cal beat LSU in the semifinals. Okay. Okay. And then it was Southern Cal and Arizona or Arizona State? Arizona State. Arizona State. So State State was eliminated by Southern Cal in that one. Mm. Okay. So State's home run hitters at that time would have been um, Richard Lee, Adam Pyatt, Brad Freeman hit home runs. Uh, Brooks Bryant hit some home runs. But Richard Lee would have been the, 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 the top dog for power in that in that group. Yeah. That's a Barry Patton arrow when he was catching also. Barry Patton would have been the catcher on those teams, yeah. Yeah. Uh Hollingsworth tells us ninety five to ninety nine, hottest bats ever. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody mentions Andy Phillips at Alabama. Went on to have a great major league baseball career. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah. Guys mentioned uh, Richard Lee. Is that Adam Pyatt? Yeah. Adam Pyatt, yeah. 
And then we, 97, I mean, people forget, four, I mean, there's six teams in the West, four of them went to Omaha in 97. Really? It was State yeah, and State, LSU and Alabama and, and... And Auburn. And Auburn went that year. That was the Tim Hudson season, yeah. wasn't it? I believe so, yeah. Wow. It's was, uh, crazy. Pretty yeah. good. Pretty, uh, pretty good stuff. All right, we will uh, let's move to some football stuff, shall we? We will. Uh, we, yeah. we promised yesterday that by tomorrow we will be caught up. When we come back, we will pick up the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. Your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. How do you like that? I love it. On Super Talk Mississippi. Count them down. Let's do it. 100 teams in 100 days. Is bananas. This day is bananas. One hundred teams in one hundred days. Touchdown. Okay, ready? Three, two, one, go! It's the final countdown. One of the more stable football programs of the last two decades. The Utah Utes of the Pac-12 Conference, at least for now. So, I, I can't tell if I like this fight song or not. I can't tell. Like, it's on the verge of, of I like it. Yeah, it's a fun, bored thing to do is read the lyrics of fight songs. Buddy, we were oh, weird in the 1920s. Yeah, yeah. The Roaring Twenties, my butt. Roaring? Roaring? Roaring. The Roaring. The Roaring. Roar. I don't know. Roar. Roaring. Roar. Like right. the Katy Perry yeah, song. It's, it's all, yes. Kyle Whitting. You hear me roar. Jeez. Kyle Whittingham, head coach at Utah since 2004. He took over for Urban Meyer. I mean, think about how long ago that was. Not 2004 itself. Okay, 2004, 20 years ago, whatever. Kyle Whittingham took over the University of Utah football head coaching job from Urban Meyer when he left Utah to go to Florida. That's how long Kyle Whittingham has been the head coach at Utah. Winningham has to be the second longest tenured Power 5 coach, right, behind Ferentz. Can't be anybody close, right? Uh, it's got to be, right? I, I think you're right. Get Alabama to Ian Gundy are tied, actually. Gundy, oh Gundy. I didn't Gundy. Yeah. Gundy that's, that's good, yeah. And then Saban's 06? Is that right? 06 or 07? No, 07. 07. Following the 06 season. 
Yeah. So, in fairness, Kyle Whittingham, his first full season was 2005. He coached the bowl game in 2004 after Urban Meyer's departure, which was a win in the Fiesta Bowl. So, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten win seasons. Ten or better. 2008, 2008 Utah went 13-0. and and they capped it with a Sugar Bowl win. They finished number two in the AP poll. 2009, the following year, they went 10 and 3. 2010, the year after that, they went 10 and 3. One of those three losses was in the Las Vegas Bowl. Didn't have another 10 win season until 2015. They did that, went to the Las Vegas Bowl, finished the year number 17 in the AP poll. 2019, they went 11 and 3 with a loss in the Alamo Bowl. And then each of the last two seasons, they have had 10-win campaigns that have culminated with a loss in the Rose Bowl. 10-4, and 10-4 and four the last two years in conference play. In the Pac-12, they've gone 8-1, and 7-2 and two in the last two seasons. If they got another shot at Florida, they'd have beaten them. But mm-hmm. how, how you don't get can it this year. beat USC twice? Beat them twice. And then lose to UCLA. UCLA wasn't terrible last year. No, they were a good but team. man. Good enough. So, here is... Hating on DTR. T- tell me how you feel about a 24-year-old starting quarterback. Generally good. Yeah. <laughs> Win national championships with those kind of guys, and he's tough as you know what, too, man. I mean, he's a great player. All right, let me let me add, let me put a layer. How do you feel about a twenty-four-year-old quarterback when his name is Cam Rising? Even better, one of the he he's not in the elite tier. You know, he's not. I think there's he's not there, but he's in the next tier, and he's near the top of it as a college quarterback. I don't know that he'll be a great pro. But as a college quarterback, that guy will win you a lot of games. Let me add another layer. How do you feel about a 24-year-old Cam Rising as your quarterback when he's coming off of ACL surgery? Still good. Did you guys, well, did you guys realize that he good. tore his ACL in the Rose Bowl? Yes. Like he didn't. He yes. didn't admit until February that that's exactly what happened. He did it on a, uh, a radio show in uh, in Salt Lake City. So he had surgery. Um, and he said, quote, now just more retab, rehab. It was a non-contact injury that occurred when he tried to cut inside on his left foot, and it gave right then and there, Rising said. He said, I had a feeling that it was something pretty serious out there on the field. Um, his uh, four weeks removed from it in February uh, said he's going to rehab five to six times a week. And he fully Tougher intends than a $2 to be ready stack. to go for the start of the year. He'll be fine. ACL Terrace not that big a deal anymore, as we all know. So he'll be fine. Isn't that crazy to say? Yeah. yeah. He's a competitor, about, man. You know, when, when, when Kyle Whittingham took that job, an ACL tear could have been considered that was the career ender for some people. So the schedule for uh, for Utah this year. They open on Thursday, August 31st, at home, on ESPN, 
at Rice-Eccles Stadium against the Florida Gators. What a perfect first Thursday college football game. Perfect. You've got the brand going on the road to the underrated brand that's returning this veteran quarterback in what will be a violent environment, in a good way, complimentary. It's going to be nasty there. And when Utah wins, we get to hear a whole weekend of, is the SEC overrated? At least no, just they Friday. Send a team that's going five and seven out there, and that's the problem. How about this schedule, though? Florida from the SEC in week one. Week two, mm-hmm. an 11 a.m. local kickoff in Waco, Texas, against Baylor. Ooh, and it's then, a hot one. Yeah. And then in week three, they will play Weber State at home. Then they jump into uh, Pac-12 play. They get UCLA at home. They get Cal at home. They get Oregon at home. Arizona State at home. Colorado at home. Their road games are Arizona, Washington, Southern Cal, and Oregon State. 11 and 1? It's possible. Really? Very possible. I mean, other than Southern Cal. So you think they lose at Southern Cal, but they beat Oregon at home? They win at Washington? Yeah. November 11th, they're winning at Washington? They can win Washington. The, the conference, That'll be a great game. I can't wait to. See, I can't wait to see it. I know the, the conference is in peril. They, they're the, the television deal that they're going to get is awful. They're going to lose members, and yet they've got the reigning Heisman Trophy winner at USC and Lincoln Riley. They've got this Utah team, Oregon and Washington. That that's a big yeah. four that rivals everybody but the SEC in college football. Didn't Oregon State win 10 games last year? They're not bad. They beat Florida in the bowl game, and now they've got DJ Uyunglele. Yeah. And and UCLA wasn't bad last year. I think they, they won nine games. So, Pac-12 is underrated. They just can't right. get over the... They can't get a team into the playoff, but like they have teams that can win games. I'm having to, I'm having to scroll through and look just to see what else is happening on Saturday, November 11th. Because as we sit here today without knowing anything else, is that where college game day goes? Do they go to do they go to Seattle on Saturday, November eleventh? Utah at Washington. That day of the SEC, Ole Miss is at Georgia, Auburn's at Arkansas, Bama's at Kentucky, Florida's at LSU, Tennessee is at Missouri, State and A and M. Uh ooh. I mean, that is a Pac-12 Saturday. Boys, you got Arizona at Colorado, Southern Cal at Oregon, Stanford at Oregon State, Arizona State at UCLA, Utah at Washington. That's a really good day in the Pac-12. Another possibility for game day, Miami at Florida State. Possible? Possible. I'm calling that right now. Utah at Washington. For game day, and if it's not, it can't. It finished second to Southern Cal at Oregon. I'm in. Hey, Let's go. So, he's just giddy right now. He's like, yes. I, mean, I can't be happier. I mean, that's two fantastic games that that'll be later in the day, probably. Yeah. So that'll be the nightcaps after a full day of college football. It took them a long time, and the league's falling apart. So that's too bad. But they finally got the Pac-12 championship game right by moving it to Vegas. 
Yep. Yeah. None of this Southern California crap. You got to go somewhere where it's a destination and it's an event, not just you're hoping locals come and choose to fight traffic to get there for a game that kicks off too early. So they're in Mountain Time and they play it on Friday night and it's on ABC. The Utah Utes counting them down 100 teams in 100 days. Okay. Let's go to the junction, in the grove, and to the top. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. Join Middays with Gerard Gibbard at Mississippi Blood Services in Flowood tomorrow for World Blood Day. Donate to Spin the Prize Wheel for a chance to win a $250 Visa gift card. Plus, donors get a meal voucher to Lloyd's Mobile Kitchen Food Truck, which will be on site that day. It's Middays with Gerard at Mississippi Blood Services tomorrow in Flowood, Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Michael Borky, and you. Let's just keep on rolling. Team number 83 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days, the Iowa State Cyclones. Are you fight someone? Jack Trice you know Stadium. Texas. Texas, yeah. You know what else scares, scares Texas? Kansas. Kansas. And I'll add one more. You, you know what else scares Texas? What fly that? balls hit into the twilight? Lazy fly balls. Oh. oh. Oh, we did say we would talk about that. We'll come back to it. We'll come back. Let's not forget. <laughs> um, Don't you dare. Don't you dare. You keep on the football. Stay on it. I don't know, man. That was a crazy play. I'm kidding with you. I'm kidding. Iowa State. Matt Campbell headed into his eighth season, 46 and 42 overall. Jack Trice Stadium looks so different than it did a decade ago. It seats almost 62,000 now. Legit home field advantage. Iowa State used to be a punching bag. And they have become less of a punching bag. They got an all time bowl record of 5 and 12. So, I have a couple of questions for you. Because last year was not great for Iowa State. They they took a step back post-Brock Purdy. We saw what Brock Purdy did in the NFL last year with, with the 49ers when his number was called. So, my, my question for you is two-part. One, can Iowa State kind of get it back rolling? Because Matt Campbell had it rolling. I mean, they had been to... Five straight bowl games prior to last season. And then number two, did Matt Campbell stay too long? No. On number two, no. And I'm speaking more from the heart than I am logistically because, yeah, in hindsight, he probably should have struck while the iron was hot. 
but we need more Matt Campbells to stay where they are in college football. I think it's healthier for the sport when a hot commodity coach is doing well at a non-traditional power and chooses to stay there. I think that's better for the sport overall. But, yeah, if I was his agent, I would have advised him to leave a few years ago, yeah. So that's kind of where I'm caught as well. Now, this is where the real test comes, right? Because when you think about striking while the iron is hot, you never know what's just around the corner. And Iowa State had it rolling, had a good quarterback. Matt Campbell was a hot commodity, turned some, we think, you know, we air quotes turned down some pretty good jobs. Certainly his name was associated with some really, really good jobs. Yeah. But if you're not careful, they went 4-8 and eight last year. We know how fans are, right? You can go from being the hottest commodity in all of football with your name mentioned for the sexiest openings in the game to your own fans wanting you to look elsewhere, wishing that you would take another job, wondering if they should pay the buyout opining about whether or not you're earning your salary. Opining. Curious about whether the game has all of a sudden passed you by. So are the things that made Matt Campbell a good coach, has anything changed? Of course not. His job's just tough. It's a hard job in a hard place. Yeah, and it just shows that when you have great seasons... At a school like Iowa State, I feel like I feel like a uh, uh, oh gosh, Billy Madison. Like you, you got to cherish it. You got to stay here as long as you can. Anything beyond the Billy Madison quote, or just just let it hang? That Veronica, go go ahead, go ahead. All right. So since 2016 at Iowa State. 46 and 42. Won three games his first year. Since then, eight wins, eight wins, seven wins, nine wins, seven wins. And he backslid a little bit this year at four and eight. Look, it's not, people were recognizing what Matt Campbell was due at a place where it is almost impossible to win historically. It's not like they went 10, 11, 10 in three straight years and all of a sudden Matt Campbell's being talked about for NFL openings. And really, really big jobs. No, he he won seven and then nine and then seven, including an eight and one conference record in the 2020 COVID season with a win in the Fiesta Bowl. 2018, they went eight and five with a six and three record. Finally, got the uh, the Iowa monkey off of his back last year with a 10-7 win in the Cyhawk game. <laughs> 10-7 in Iowa City. Hey, that always cringes when I call it the Cyhawk game. So, not his name. every fan in attendance should have been handed a crisp, fresh-out-of-the-bank $100 bill on their way up. How much money would that be? Here, here's 100 for your troubles. I, I'm sorry you put up with that. We didn't get any money walking out of Auburn 3, Mississippi State 2. Ain't nobody getting any money. Somebody should have. And that game should be shown on a loop in prison as opposed to telling fans to pay to go see it. That's an almost 70,000-seat stadium. 
You know, it's a lot of money, and, and those people deserved every cent. My goodness, Iowa's offense last year is so shockingly bad that I, I honestly think. Because you know how sometimes media guys are like, I could hit a fastball in a major league game, or I could, you know, and they're all full of crap. No, you couldn't. I could, I could drop a curveball Uncle Charlie in for a strike right now. Right. I, I truly feel like one of us could have gotten the play sheet and not done any worse. It, it, we really could not have done any worse than, than they were last year. Just hand us the play sheet. We'll call them, and we'll be all right, comparatively speaking. Hmm. The um, the Iowa State schedule for this year in Ames, and you know the question is: is a, a bounce back season? And what if they go seven and five this year on the heels of four and eight? Then it was a it was a really good year, right? I mean, it was a good year for Iowa yes, State. They're fine, yeah. They open against Northern Iowa in Ames. Then they get the uh, Hawkeyes at their place. In week two, you said it's not the it's the Iowa Corn Cyhawk series. Nah. What, what what is the issue that you have with this? It has another name, but you can't a say a better it. name. Okay, correct. All right, they have Ohio. Can I can I say it? I don't know. No, if I can it's say just it. it's better if it's just better if not. Ohio on the road I, in Athens in week three. HR. Uh, Oklahoma State at home in week four. So three of their first four are at home. Then it gets it gets tough after that, right? Then it's uh, OU on the road, TCU at home. Are you boys ready to, to get used to Cincinnati being a conference game? I kind of like it. They go to Cincinnati October 14th. That's a Big 12 game. Might be cold that day. They go to Baylor. And on that date, by the way, I was looking at the SEC helmet schedule. It didn't hit me, I guess, until during this break. Ole Miss and State have the same bye week. Same bye weekend, October 14th. Neither of them play. That's pretty cool. Is it though? I don't know. I always like watching the Ole Miss game on the the State. Uh, Yeah, what are we? we, Monday, man. Southern Miss is going to have its biggest day ever. Yeah, they are. On this show. We'll recap the heck out of that game. Can I tell you how cool Cincinnati State is? Who does Southern Miss play on that game, by the way? Find out, Borky. Who does Southern Miss play in front of me? Cincinnati State. I said Borky. It's it's really awesome. Not big. Yeah, Nippert Stadium. Southern Miss is off that day too. (laughs) That's that's when they have like the Wednesday game. So that is the worst Monday ever. We're taking that day off. That's a best of day. (laughs) Monday, October (laughs) fourteenth. We're out. What are we gonna do? We will be with you on Labor Day. We will not be with you on October 14th. We're taking that Monday off. That will be our mid-season we, we get, we Labor, get Day. Labor Day. We have to get an extra day off because we work Labor Day. That's when we're taking it. That's what, that's yep. what, yeah. Except we won't. We'll talk college yep. football on that Monday. Um, and, and we'll look ahead. Yeah, we will. <laughs> uh, Kansas and Ames at BYU. Texas and Ames, look out. At K-State. That is the Iowa State Hawkeyes. Nope, Cyclones. We'll be back. Hey, guys. What happened? What the heck are you doing? Sports Talk Mississippi on your radio and in the game. 
Sports Talk Mississippi. This Friday, you can join Sports Talk Mississippi from M-Trade Park in Oxford. We'll be broadcasting live at our normal time from 3 to 6 for the Mississippi Bombers Summer Southeast Invite. Big softball tournament. 120 teams, 15 states, Age groups of 14U, 16U, and 18U. Last year there were a little over 85 college coaches from all over the country scouting some of the best softball talent in the country, all at M-Trade Park in Oxford. So that's uh, this Friday. You can join us from 3 to 6, M-Trade Park in Oxford. And again, it's the Mississippi Bombers Summer Southeast Invite. Be sure to check out everything that's happening at M-Trade Park on their website, mtradepark.com. So, we never got to this at the beginning of the show. Stanford was leading Texas 6-3. to And I have no idea what that is, guys. It, it, it is something in this building in which I'm sitting right now. It sounded like somebody was hitting something. Like a really big mosquito trap or something? What's going on? No, well, somebody started hitting something to make this awful buzzing sound. It was like, I'm not going to try to imitate the buzzing sound. It was an awful buzzing sound. Like a gigantic robotic fly is what it sounded like. And then it was like somebody started hitting the desk trying to make it stop. It worked. So what we, we think we've got, gigantic robotic fly trying to attack Richard and... I'm going to say Rick came in there with a baseball bat and took care of it for you. So you, you thanks, Rick. Did, Appreciate it. Do you notice I didn't even flinch? I noticed. You, you're a you're man's man. Thank you, Scott Berry. Tony Vitello. Appreciate it. I could take Vitello. I don't know about Scott. Uh, I bet Scott got on a lawnmower at some point today. He's like Oz. I, 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 hey, Ozzie, I fully believe. I'm gonna that. come back and clean my office out. I, I'll do it. Not doing it to, today. Might not get it done this he week. Be, he might be well, fishing today. Maybe. He might have just gone ahead and head to the lake. Scott doesn't really strike me as a guy that sleeps late, even on a day when he could sleep late. <laughs> but but he might have slept till like six thirty or seven this morning, which would feel late for him. And he got up, and he deserved a good breakfast. I'm going to bet he had a big, you know, eggs and bacon and biscuits breakfast, maybe an extra cup of coffee, and then uh, probably went out and mowed the yard shirtless. Start working Is there on another that. way to cut the grass? No, I wasn't aware. Well, I mean, with the shirt on, yes, that would be the other way. Uh, that doesn't sound as fun. You cut the yard shirtless? Even in your hoity-toity neighborhood, where your neighbors call the police for any reason, I wouldn't describe my Rich, neighborhood. Richard as Cross that. giving you problems about your hoity-toity uh, well, I mean, neighborhood. I've all, seen where that man lives. All, all I know is he lives in Oxford. I mean, 
I didn't say his hotty toddy neighborhood. Hey, Dad. <laughs> no, but hoity toity is same thing. Same thing. Oh, man. I just, that, that I is... didn't know if like you had gotten an indecent exposure charge dropped on you for cutting the grass yeah, with no shirt you know, on. The, the old neighbors would have. Mm. The, old, the old neighbors would have. Um, just like they called the yeah, police. It's okay. on, yeah. yeah, we're good. We're good. Uh, but, anyway. But no, I. Yeah, I, I cut the grass shirtless. I, I want to get a tan, and I'm, it's not like I'm going to lay at a lawn chair. I'm not a woman. I, I need to get tan other ways. Yeah, can't just slap a bikini on and some oil and lay in the backyard. I, I mean, you could. And like, I, I love the be- recommend it. I, I could. I, like, I love the beach, but I need to be doing something at the beach. Like, I got to be fishing. I got to be doing other stuff. <laughs> the people that can just sit and do nothing in the sun Bork, doesn't resonate. Or you just sitting out there in a thong. Straight banana hammock, just trying to get some rays. I hear they've got those at Target. (laughs) (laughs) I have caused Michael Borky to bend over in his chair, out of the screen, away from the microphone, and hey, Dad is full on belly laughing. Oh, me. So Texas, huh? <laughs> Drop the pop fly. What a shame. Stanford led <laughs> six to three over Texas. <laughs> Texas gets recovery. three runs. They tie it at six. They're in the bottom of the ninth. Bottom of the ninth. Tied at six. Two outs. Fly ball, can of corn, right field, twilight, bad lights, bad stadium, ball lost, shallow right game center off. field, game over, Stanford to the College World Series. How would it have played out in extra innings? No idea. Dylan Campbell, right fielder for Texas, maybe the best right fielder in all of college baseball. He's in the conversation. No idea where it was. Can you imagine a more helpless feeling? Can you imagine a more helpless feeling in all of sports? It's just a little pop-up. I got no idea where it is. Omaha. Can you feel it? Can you hear it? Sports Talk Mississippi. Yeah! On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday afternoon, the 13th of June. It, it, would you guys allow me to add a winner to yesterday's winners and losers that I just forgot to mention? Sure. This, this past weekend, Borky, you're going to love this. Promise you. This past weekend, at the Mississippi Gulf Coast Billfish Classic, there was a blue marlin that was caught. Uh, it was caught by It Just Takes Time. That's the boat that is owned by 
uh, Nick Pratt, and his captain is Captain Chris Hood. They won the Mississippi Gulf Coast Billfish Classic for an unprecedented third time. Beautiful boat. You got a 72-foot Viking. I mean, it, this is a boat that is made for exactly what they are doing. A 763.6-pound blue marlin. 763 pounds. Third time. They won the Classic in 2020 with a 570-pound blue, and then last year won it with a 793-pounder. Um, this uh, this boat, this team, is based out of Orange Beach, so not too terribly far away. The, the picture's incredible. You know, I've been to billfish tournaments before. If you haven't, you don't have to like be on the boat to enjoy yourself. I had a blast right after college. Was trying to get a job, had applications everywhere. A buddy and I just went down to the beach with the few hundred bucks we had left in our accounts, and and just stayed there as long as we could until we ran out of money. And there was a a fishing tournament, and there was a bar right off the dock where all the boats were, and that was the most fun I had had in quite some time just sitting on the on the balcony of this bar while the boats are coming in going out weighing the fish all that stuff it was a blast like you don't have to have a boat to go enjoy a fishing tournament yeah i just thought that was really cool i mean awesome. the the picture that marlin hanging with him standing next to it oh man and to me bill fish are so cool can you imagine what it would be like to fight a fish like that for hours. A process. Yeah. 800 pounds on the end of your line. That's one of those where you kind of have to know what you're doing, <clears throat> I think. Just just a little bit. Really cool stuff. Anyway, I just wanted to share that story in case you missed it over the uh, over the course of the weekend. 5 o'clock hour with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV, of course, on your supertalk Mississippi sta- uh, radio stations. We are coming to you from the Pearl River Resort studio. Pearl River Resort is the home of the sports book, the Golden Moon Casino. Visit them online at pearlriverresort.com to learn more. It is time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford tough. You can test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. Uh, So yesterday, we talked a little bit about Quinshawn Judkins. In general, what it would take for a running back to win the Heisman Trophy in specific what it would take for Quinshawn Judkins to win the Heisman Trophy. And because we've seen Heisman campaigns, pseudo-Heisman campaigns for players from Mississippi in the past, it's almost like people kind of like, oh, yeah, Heisman Trophy. You're not winning a Heisman if you play at Ole Miss or Mississippi State. And maybe that's true. But Quinshawn Judkins' name is legitimately in the off-season slash preseason conversation for college football's highest award, the Heisman Trophy. 
So on three sports did a top five Heisman contenders for the 2023 season. And theirs included Jaden Daniels, Brock Bowers, Quinshawn Judkins, um, Joe Milton, and Carson Beck. Now I'm assuming that you had to have players from the SEC for this list. I mean, I guess yes. that was top five SEC Heisman right. Trophy contenders. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that list? It's interesting. Um, obviously, you know, the thing with, with Daniels is that he is going to be a a top uh, quarterback on a top-rated team, a team that's probably going to be in the top ten for most of the year. So by default, if he puts up good numbers, he's in there. Carson Beck is the same way, right? Don't know a thing about him, but he's going to be quarterback in the team that's probably going to be in the college football playoff. If he puts up big numbers. If he throws for 3,500 yards and 30 touchdowns, he's in the conversation, right? He's in the mix. He's in the mix, right? Um, Bowers is interesting because he's a tight end. I mean, we've never had a tight end really be in that discussion before. And then you have Judkins, who, I mean, Judkins, you can make, I would say he's the best running back in the country. And, you know, I would, I would, I think if you had a running back draft, you played fantasy football, Judkins can college football, fantasy football this year. Judkins will be a first round, be the first pick in a lot of drafts. He's going to rush. I mean, he should, if he stays healthy, should rush for between 1,600 and 1,800 yards. He should be pushing 20 touchdowns. I mean, he's going to be in the mix because his numbers are going to be big. He needs to have big games against big teams. When they play Alabama early in the season, have a big game. That's how you get. That's how you. That's how you do it. That's how you get your name into those conversations. And Ole Miss has to win some games. And I don't think. Again, we had this discussion yesterday. I don't think they have to be a, a top ten team or anything like that if his numbers are crazy, which they could be. I mean, what happens if you know Bentley is just okay and they decide, look, we're going to have to give Judkins more carries than we thought, and he gets two thirds of what Zach Evans gave him last year. Now we're talking about you know twenty one hundred, twenty two hundred yards. I mean, that's Which in the Heisman Trophy discussion, regardless of your team's record almost. Early in the season, he had one game with 10 carries, another with 14. I think I think it was four games in the early season where he had fewer than 20 carries. Yeah. Um, yeah, his game-by-game game shows you that I just I don't know that we're going to see a running back in the SEC get a Derrick Henry-type load. But he wasn't Probably far not. from it last year. Yeah. And just, you know, you remember early in the season, Zach Evans was there, and they're like, all right, this is the five-star kid that we, we brought in from the transfer portal, and we're going to let him shine. And then Judkins, every time he touched the ball, you were like, wait. Wait, look wait, look at this guy. And then by the end of the season, you know, he's the guy. This year, there's no, there's no early uh, controversy for him. He'll be the guy from game one. All right, so here's here's game by game for Judkins last year, on the ground only, because he had a total of 15 catches for 132 yards and a touchdown a year ago. Based on just a little bit we saw in the spring game, certainly those numbers could double. They might triple. I think they're going to target him more out of the backfield. 274 carries last year. He had 14 carries for 87 yards and a touchdown in the opener against Troy. 
Against Central Arkansas, 10 for 104, no touchdowns. Against Georgia Tech, 19 for 98 and two touchdowns. Carried it 27 times for 140 against Tulsa. 15 for 106 against Kentucky. How about this? Against Vanderbilt, which was the one game where Ole Miss just threw the heck out of it. Hmm. 11 carries for 46 yards. He goes 25 for 139 against Auburn, 25 for 111 against LSU, 34 for 205 against A&M, 25, 135 against Alabama, 24 and 214 at Arkansas, and then he carried it 22 times for 91 yards against Mississippi State, 23 times for 91 yards against Texas Tech in the bowl game. I mean, you can almost, just based on the way the non-conference played out last year, almost guarantee him 50 more carries. If the first six go like the last seven, 2,000 is not out of the question. I mean, 50 more carries for Judkins is at least at least 250 yards. It's probably closer to 350 yards. And so now we're last talking year, about he's at 1,900 off of last year. Last year he averaged 5.7 yards per carry, so that's 285 that, additional yards. So he had fifteen sixty seven, so seventeen. It's like almost it's eighteen hundred plus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but those and are the non conference games you, too. You know, well, yeah, well, I mean, and you, you know, if there's one game where he has a seventy yard run in there, I mean, it's just his longest run of the season came against Texas A and M for sixty one yards. Yeah, he had a sixty one yarder against A and M and a sixty yarder against Arkansas. To have to, to go for two thousand yards, he's gonna have to have what, half a dozen fifty yard runs? Maybe ten? Yeah. I listen to it at work. At work. Sports talk, Mississippi. Sports talk, Mississippi. On Super Talk, Mississippi. Did you get that memo? Yes, sir. Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Haydad. Glad to have you along for the ride. You can uh, join us on the Ceasefire text line at 601 879 4395. Give your business the edge with gigabit fiber internet from Ceasefire Business. You can learn more online at ceasefire.com slash business. Couple of uh, messages on the ceasefire text line. When's the last time a Heisman winner came from an eight and four slash seven and five team? Has there ever been one? But RG three wasn't Baylor eight and four the year that he won it. They, they went. They went. They went ten and three. Oh, they won. 10. I looked. It, it's it. Yeah, it's 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 like uh, Lamar Jackson's team was nine and four, but they were nine and three in the regular season. Mm. The the safest bet in the oh, SEC is Carson Beck. 
That's the safest bet in the SEC. You, you want to win your future bet with the with the Heisman Trophy, and you can get probably pretty good odds because he's not at the top. Put it on Georgia's starting quarterback. Yeah. You've never seen him take a snap before. You have no idea how good he is, but they're going to be the best team, and the quarterback from the best team will at least get invited to New York City. That That is the best works bet for, because that's how the Heisman works. Works for Bryce Young. You'd never seen him play, and then he won the Heisman. He was really good, though. He was. Yeah, oh, yeah. But Beck should be really good, too. I mean, and he's he's kind of too big to fail, you know. So, by the way, if you send us a question on the Seats Park text line, you don't have to send it six times for us to answer it. We will just, uh, we will eventually get to well, Maybe that's a glitch on their phone. Maybe. I would like What's to believe they're just very I'll, eager. I like to believe they're just really angry. Just like, Yeah, I, I think. I think Pat was accidentally hit sin seven times. I'm kind of a cynic with the Heisman, though. I, I used to, when I was a kid, watch the entire ceremony without taking... I, I used to love it and care about it so much. And based on the numbers, which I know TV ratings aren't everybody's cup of tea, but I think it's a really nice gauge of the interest in something. College football and the NFL are still holding strong. They're incredibly popular and growing. But the Heisman ceremony has fallen off a cliff. Every year, fewer than the year before. Why is that? Because fans are interested in college football. They want college football. But why don't they want the Heisman? I think that's why. Because it's not the best player in college football. It's the quarterback on one of the four best teams in college football. People are kind of checking out of it. Yeah. It is. And, I mean, I think the award is still incredibly prestigious. And being a Heisman winner is, I mean, you you become part of a fraternity where you're introduced one way for the rest of your life. Heisman Trophy winning, fill in the blank, fill in the blank. I mean... Is Gino Toretta still a household name without winning a Heisman Trophy? <laughs> no. But Heisman Trophy winning quarterback Gino Toretta from the University of Miami. Yep. Heisman Trophy winner Jason White from the University of Oklahoma. Didn't we look it up not too long ago and he like sells air conditionings, like heating like that, yeah. systems? We, we, or, we or did look it like up, that? yeah. I believe, something like that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a, a a good and necessary and noble profession, just not necessarily what you thought would be happening for him when he won a Heisman Trophy following the 2003 season. Um, hey, I need to fix something. It was it, it, it just take time. I was looking at an old post. I was looking for the results of the the Billfish tournament, and I think what I found was last year's results. It just takes time. Is oh. a three time winner of the biggest Marlin competition. But this year it was a 723-pound blue Marlin that was uh, was brought in by Salt Shaker. Total payout for that, by the way, $273,000. No telling what was invested to be able to reel in that large and beautiful fish, but nevertheless. So thank you. Uh, that's from JC and Debbie at Ocean Springs. Appreciate it very much. Uh, we need to count, uh, continue the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. Team number 82. 
Oh. On, on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. Only the if any team Rebels. deserves half a segment, here they are. Well, my thought was we probably would do a half a segment plus a segment. We would start the conversation uh, here. Fight song needs a little updating, <laughs> a little more power. Yeah, there's a version of it that's got a little more juice than that, but yeah, it's not uh, not my favorite. Just too much. Especially the little. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's too much of that. The little, the flutey transition there. Yeah, all, all the great fight songs have just power. And and that one's lacking some power. It is. So, to talk about this Ole Miss team, I think you start by talking about last year's Ole Miss team, which had a great start to the year. We we all remember the 7-0 start, but we remember the way that the, uh, the year ended as well. With just one win down the stretch, it was at Texas A&M and all of the -the off-the-field drama that went along with that. So they got to the postseason, and everybody calmed down a little bit, and everybody chilled out a little bit after the season ended, get through baseball season, and as is the case for most football teams and most fan bases, hope springs eternal, and with a little bit of time, you get excited about the coming year. And I think there's reason to be excited for the Ole Miss team. Now, I have heard people say that Ole Miss could have a better football team this year with a worse record. Uh, Can that be accurate? It can. Auburn, you think, should be improved. People expect A&M to be improved. You you flip Kentucky with Georgia. Um the the thing that I think you can guarantee, though, which is so interesting about Ole Miss, considering their pedigree with wide receivers and tight ends, for that matter, uh, lately in the NFL, of all the questions about quarterback and the wide receiver room and if is Pete Golding's defense going to be ready in time, are the new portal additions on defense going to acclimate in time, you can guarantee that they're going to run the football and they're going to do it well. You can guarantee it. I mean, they've had the best rushing yeah. offense in the SEC since Lane Kiffin's gotten there uh, each of the last three years. They returned Judkins, four offensive linemen, and they added two uh, from the portal that are either going to start or spell. You know they're going to line up and run the football extremely well. And whoever wins the quarterback competition or if Jackson Dart keeps his job and Sanders takes it, either one is going to help you in the running game as well. It's... They are going to line up and run the football and do it successfully on a weekly basis. You can guarantee that. So, on the offensive side, Ole Miss is deeper than it was last year. Now, we'll see on the offensive line. And to, to me, that there is a question on the offensive line. But they are deeper at quarterback. And look, I, I guess we've still got to wait and see if you go through camp leading up to the start of the season and Spencer Sanders doesn't somehow come from behind in the quarterback race and beat out Jackson Dart. I guess there's still a scenario where he could transfer like right before the season started. But they've started summer workouts, and Spencer Sanders is there. And so Ole Miss has depth at the quarterback position. Here's the reason to me that that's so incredibly important. 
Don't you think it allows Lane Kiffin to use Jackson Dart more in the run game because of what he believes in is behind him? Like, I mean, if you want to rewind a couple of years to... You don't have to go all the way back to Chad Kelly. You don't want to. Or or you you could. I mean, if you want to go back to Bo Wallace or whatever, you, you, you think about, okay, what was behind those guys and how careful did you have to be with your quarterback? Um... Maybe you don't have to be that way in using the quarterback as part of the run game. If Spencer Sanders is there as a backup option and Walker Howard is also there as a backup option. You lose two really important pieces in the passing game with Jonathan Mingo and Malik Heath. But they've added some pieces, unproven at the SEC level, but proven at their previous spots to the point where there is a deeper wide receiver room, they are deeper at the tight end spot. So at the other side of the ball when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Pearl River Resort Studio. Okay, what we do next? Keep it moving, buddy. You can be a part of Sports Talk Mississippi. 888-808-8637 on Super Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday afternoon. We're counting down 100 teams in 100 days. Ole Miss team number 82 on the countdown. Uh, tomorrow we'll have Temple. Southern Miss will uh, be coming up later this week as well as we continue to work our way toward the start of the football season. So we talked some about the offensive side of the ball for Ole Miss. When you guys realize that Jackson Dart had one, uh, no, that's not right, two games last year, including the bowl game, where he threw for over 300 yards? They, they just ran the football like crazy. He wasn't bad in efficiency or anything. No. Completed 62.5% of his passes. I can't decide if it's being spoiled or, or what, but I think the some Ole Miss fans, a segment of them anyway, in their criticism of Jackson Dart, I found to be a bit bizarre. It's like he's a 19-year-old who joined your team in February, and he's playing in the SEC. And what did you expect him to be? Like a first-round pick right away? Like, did you expect him to immediately be Matt Corral 2021? A more appropriate comparison would be Matt Corral 2020. That that's more about where they were in their development. But Corral had been in, at the school longer. I just I found the the criticism very odd. It's like, oh well, he doesn't see the middle of the field well. He's 19. He's got to learn how to do it. 
not not every quarterback's Johnny Manziel when they're 19 years old. Sometimes guys have to develop like Matt Corral. Bo Wallace, when he went to Ole Miss, w- w- had already spent multiple years in junior college. Chad Kelly had been in college for multiple years before he went to Ole Miss. you you, you got to give these guys, some, some of your young Nobody quarterbacks, wants to do that a little anymore. bit of leeway. Nobody wants to do that anymore. Nobody, everybody, everybody wants... Hey, Dan, I'm curious, Everybody, which is more surprising to you? Is it more surprising that Jackson Dart only threw for over 300 yards twice or that he only had one rushing touchdown last season? I did not know the what rushing touchdown, so that is more surprising. I would have thought he had at least five or six. He had one, and it came but, in the bowl know. game against Texas Tech. He did you not know, have a rushing line. touchdown in twelve regular season games. They got the, they got in the red zone. That's Judkins and uh, and Evans time. You know, yeah. So I guess it's not that surprising when you really think about it, but it is surprising just on the surface. But all of that aside, I think Ole Miss will be fine offensively this year. But it's all about their defense. Now, right now, 2021 is is a big outlier for an Ole Miss having a good defense. Since Kimdiche and that group left, they haven't been good. They were not good last year. And if they're not any better this year, they're going to be a seven-win team. What was it? The, 20, was the 2014 team? Number one defense in America. They had the number, number one, one defense in America. scoring defense in the country. Loaded with players. I mean, you had Kim Diche. You had uh, DJ Jones was on that team, right? Uh, Mike Hilton. Fidel Brown was on that team. Mike Hilton. Uh, Cody Pruitt in the, the back the end safety. is the safety. There's another guy who led the country in, recept- in interceptions. He had the, the interception against Alabama. Cornerback. Uh, Can't remember. Sinquez Golson. Sinquez Golson. Yeah, Sinquez Golson. I mean, just players, man. Guys at, at all three levels. That was a good defense. And then two years later... They were like Swiss cheese, and they have not really recuperated at any point. That's the Hugh Freeze recruiting strategy for you. Um, and what's interesting about, about this team is is the, the X factors. Now, Cedric Johnson being healthy is big for them. When he's healthy, he's he's very, very good. I, I wouldn't call him great, but he, he was a shell of himself at times a year ago because he was playing through injury. And, and when he's healthy, he's very effective. Um, and, and you've got guys returning. That that you know can be effective players, but the, the guys that they need to play and play well, they like just signed Isaac yeah. Ukwu. They just signed him. I mean, he just joined the team a few weeks ago, and he was first team All Sun Belt defensive end at James Madison last year. And no, the Sun Belt's not the SEC, and so maybe his transition is difficult. But you've seen in the past players moving from one to the other and doing well. They need it to be the case with him. They need to get after the quarterback, and they're going to rely on somebody who hadn't played a snap of SEC football yet, but he has spent four years in college. Stephon Wynn's another guy on the defensive line. They need him to to play, and he joined the team a few weeks ago. They've got a bunch of secondary guys that they signed that they need to play, and they signed them just a few weeks ago. The entire defense is not signed just a few weeks ago, but there's a handful of guys, what, six, seven guys that they need to play to some degree who just joined the team. 
And that is not a recipe for success. Just isn't in the SEC. You need guys who, who have been there and done that. And yeah. I mean, that is, that's going to be tough. You know, you, you think about the defensive line. Obviously, new defensive coordinator and Pete Golding. And I, I think that matters. I, I think I think you upgraded significantly at that spot on your staff. I think you're way closer. Now, there's not as much experience, but you're way closer to somebody with the defensive pedigree, defensive coordinator pedigree of DJ Durkin two years ago than you are with Chris Partridge calling the defense last year. Hmm. They need Joshua Harris to give them good stuff in the middle of the defensive line, the NC State transfer. And he went through spring with them, so that's... He, he did. And, that's that's and, a plus. And popped at times, and I mean, he is a massive human being. Cedric Johnson got to stay healthy. Just, just got to. John Saunders, good in the spring game. What does that mean? How does that transfer? I mean, you, you pointed him out a second ago, Borky, from, from Miami of Ohio. Zamari Walton, they need him to kind of... I mean... Do you, do you feel reasonably good about their their corner spots? You should. Walton coming in from Georgia Tech, good size. DeAndre Prince, a lot of experience there. Prince was low key good on a bad defense last year. Prince is a is a is a quality player. You know what does Jeremiah Jean Baptiste give you? The the transfer in from from UCF. If you're looking for positive spin. The defensive players that transferred in that they need to play have played a lot already. I mean, the win, as I mentioned, has recorded stats in, what is it, five different college football seasons? Ukwu was at James Madison for four years. Saunders was at Miami of Ohio for years. All of Almost all of these guys, the ones that they need to play, at least if you're looking for positive spin for guys joining your team late, have played a lot of football. They've been in system. They've been in college for years, many years. Gene Baptiste has been in college for a while. Yeah. Uh, what was he? The 2018 recruiting class, I think. Uh, but he's yeah. been in college for a while. Josh Harris has been in college for a while. So that that's something positive. Is that you're not relying on guys that have not produced at all, and they're still 19 years old to come in and help you. What about JJ Piggies? He, he flashed like a future NFL player a year ago. But now he needs to play like a future NFL player. Every snap. That's a guy who had a lot of hype coming out of high school, had a lot of hype coming out of the transfer portal. And, I mean, his, you know the biggest play I remember from him last year is catching a touchdown in the Egg Bowl. Well, that's not what you, you brought him in for. you gotta, you got to get sacks, tackles for loss. Needs him. I mean, this is, this is what we're talking about. Yes. Is there, is there, one, guy, is there one guy... No, no. I was just going to say, at that position, to me, it's less about numbers and more about disruption. Like, if you go back and you look, okay. you, you mentioned him a second ago, you go back and you look at Robert Kimdichie, he never filled up a stat sheet. Like, in, in his time at Ole Miss, never did he fill up a stat sheet. <laughs> except, except in the Egg Bowl. God, if he had played state every game, he'd been the first pick in the draft. Well, maybe there was that. Um, yeah. But... He changed the way offenses game plan for Ole Miss's defense same, because same of with what Simmons for Mississippi he State. Could do in the middle of the yes, yes, same thing. Yeah. So this is the the, the issue with Ole Miss is we keep saying they've got it. This guy has to, and this guy is there a, one guy that you can just say he will? Cedric Johnson. 
I mean, that's, that's he he, but there's the if he stays healthy. But there's always an if he stays healthy. That's healthy, true for but. everybody, I guess. But but I mean, with state, it's like oh, it's a draft year. Jet for Johnson, Johnson will. Nate, Bookie Watson will. Jaden Crumbody will. Yeah, with Ole Miss, there's just not those guys, and right. it's it's you know going to know pretty early, I think, with Tulane yeah. and Georgia Tech. Those are two teams that Ole Miss should beat. But if those teams are moving up and down the field on Ole Miss, that's not a good sign. Quickly, let's do the win-loss thing. Mercer, win. Win. Tulane, win. Win. Georgia Tech, win. It's three and a start. At Alabama, yeah. loss. Loss. Three and one. LSU at home on September 30th, likely loss. Loss. Yeah. That's three and two. Arkansas at home. Loss. Probably a win at home. I say loss. Can't, can't well, stop of course you do. They won last year. They I don't know what they you did the year before. Right, we'll come back and finish it up in the next segment. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. Will you ever get so excited that you just can't wait? Sports Talk Mississippi, covering your Mississippi teams. I've been waiting my whole life for this. Don't touch that dial! Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. Thanks for being with us. Ole Miss was team number 82 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days, obviously spending a little more time on Ole Miss like we did on Mississippi State uh, a few weeks ago as we uh, get closer to the start of the season. So we're walking through the schedule, and we don't have to go all the way, win-loss, 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 all the way through. But, hey, Dad, you know, I said win against Arkansas. You said you think that's a loss. That's a weird series, mm-hmm. right? The home team's it is. been much better than I just, the road I just team. See, I just see Jefferson and Sanders and that Ole Miss rush defense as, as a that's a that's a mismatch. But you're you're also thinking about last year's Ole Miss rush defense and not knowing what it's going to look like this year. But, I mean, I don't know, but I don't. You know, as, as I sit here today, I have questions about them, and I don't have questions about Jefferson and Sanders. To me. The old okay. This is where you're going to be like, well, no kidding, there, math major. When I say what I'm about to say, there are four games on this schedule for Ole Miss that are the difference in them being five and seven and nine and three. Yeah, yes, I, I realize that four games is the difference. In Tell the, me in, more. You cannot lose games in the NFL and still win and, and so. still win them and no, win. But, yeah. but but look, this is this is a schedule. That Ole Miss can go five and seven. They can go nine and three. Obviously, somewhere in between. You know, if you're just saying those four games are coin flips, whatever. But here are the four games in my mind: Arkansas on October seventh, at uh, at Auburn on October twenty first, Texas A and M on November fourth, and the Egg Bowl on November twenty third. 
Mm-hmm. Because it feels like those are kind of your four coin flip games going in. Yeah, I mean, you're you're giving Ole Miss a three and zero start. You're giving them a win against Vanderbilt. You're giving them a win against ULM for for those five. Now I know you still got to play the games and all, all that good stuff, but you, you understand what we're doing here. And, and we're making so, predictions. Well, sure, and 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 trying to do it in a slightly different way, kind of an educated. So if you say, well, two and two of those four games is the most likely outcome, then they're seven and five. Mm-hmm. Which is what I would say. There are going to be some teams that, some, some folks that are pretty frustrated with a seven and five record. I mean, if we're just being honest, absolutely. With the way that Ole Miss absolutely. is investing in its football program, and I don't just mean Lane Kiffin's salary, I'm talking about no. in head coach salary, assistant coach salaries, Analyst, NIL, all of those things. With the way that Ole Miss is investing in its program, seven and five is not good enough. Eight and four, depending on what the eight and four looks like, I think most people could be like, okay, you took a step forward. And you, you, you feel a good bit better about it. Especially if it's an eight and four that includes, say, winning three of the last four games. Like in, in the month of November, if you were to go 3-1 and one with the only loss being Georgia, you would feel good about the way the season finished. Would That's feel what like happened with State last year. On the uptick. That's exactly what happened with State last year. Yeah, you're right. Played better down the stretch, got some wins down the stretch, mm-hmm. and you got a better feeling going into the offseason. Mm-hmm. So that Arkansas game on October 7th, massive. You realize we're going to have two weeks in the lead up to Ole Miss at Auburn. Yeah. Oh, with freeze. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. I can't. We need, I'm just going to tell you right now that you need to work whatever channels you need to get. Some I mean, Deuce would be one, obviously, but you need to get somebody who went to Auburn for Tuberville's first game on the show that week, so well, we, we can do talk that. about. It. Yeah. Put Corey that, Peterson write that on that down your little it, book. It won't be the same yeah. hate, though. Caught, there's caught a, the, uh, the winning touchdown, I think. Mm-hmm. It, it won't be the same, though, because there's a, a subset of Ole Miss fans that still love Hugh Freeze to death, which does not make any sense at all to me, I but bet, there's still that I bet subset. there were Ole Miss fans who, who still love Tuberville. They were like, oh, I wish he would come back. I wasn't here then, it's probably so not I'll take as strong. your word for it. But. It wasn't as strong. And, of course, it, it was so sudden, right? I mean, it's been six years since Freeze was at Ole Miss. Tuberville was at Ole Miss, you know, eight months prior. Yeah. So, different situation, but that's definitely something we should look into, you know, what that game was like. There will be a lot of Ole Miss fans that make the – it'll be the most Ole Miss fans that have made yeah. the trip to the Plains since the Ole Miss at that, Auburn Tommy Tuberville game. That's, yeah. that's just it. All right, Ole Miss, team number 81 on the countdown, uh, 82 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday afternoon. Fun show today. We'll be back with you tomorrow just after 3 o'clock. For Michael Borky and Brian Haydad, I'm Richard Cross in the Pearl River Resort Studios. Good night.
Are you a business owner looking for help with HR benefits and payroll? MWG Employer Services offers a wide range of services and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. I was so overwhelmed with HR stuff. MWG Employer Services took all the stress out of it and even set up my payroll. I couldn't be happier. MWG Employer Services is here to help you succeed. Call us today at 601-206-7966 or go to mwgemployerservices.com. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.